0: Welcome back to Awkward Silences. We are here today with Sonia Pedigdi. <laughs> I gotta do that again. <laughs> All right, let me say, okay, I think my phonetic is not helping. This is Aaron May.
1: I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence.
0: Silences. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome back to Awkward Silences. We are thrilled to be here today with Sonia Badigian. She is a UX and content specialist at MarketAid. And today we're gonna talk about remote research, which is something near and dear to all of our hearts. So thank you for being with us, Sonia.
2: Yeah, thank you both so much for having me.
1: Nice to meet you, thanks for joining.
0: Cool, so let's get right into it. So you are a fan of remote research. Why?
2: Yes. So, um, just a short bit of background. I went to school for human computer interaction, and a big part of that was teaching us how to conduct UX research in person. So, like contextual inquiries, um, you know, really meeting people in their environment, um, going to where they, they are. And that was always explained to me as an in-person process. Now out out of grad school, I started working for MarketAid, which is a completely remote company. And so my exposure to remote research was not necessarily my choice. It was more of a function of the company that I was working with, um, who I felt really passionate about working with and um, has been great ever since I started. So my first exposure to it was on the job. And at, at first, because of my grad school experience, I kind of thought wow, oh, this isn't quite the full UX research experience. Like this isn't how I was taught to do it. And I felt like maybe it was missing something. And after probably a few months on the job, a few studies under my belt, I started to feel differently. Like, wait, no, I feel like we're getting better results here. What's happening? Why is this working as well, if not better than how I was taught to do this research in grad school? And uh, I've come around to a couple of, a couple of different sort of thoughts about it. My first is that actually... The whole goal of UX research is to get meet people in their environment in context, and frequently we're just not able to do that being a remote company having clients all over the country. And so, in a way, the remote meets that goal better than having them come into an office somewhere, um, you know, having them in an uncomfortable environment. And so, eventually, I realized that okay, so the point of research is not to necessarily have the people there in person, that's not the goal, it's to it's to be in their environment. And so I feel like remote really uh, accomplishes that.
0: I love what you said about, I love those moments where like you learn these theories in college and then you get like a real job yep. and apply these theories. And it really um, brings those theories to um, maybe a more real or creative place where you can actually uh, do things in a, a more effective way um, in real yeah. life. So that's really interesting background. So remote makes it possible to meet people in context where they are. What, what's that look like from, from your experience?
2: Yeah, so I think one of my more recent favorite stories was I was interviewing someone who was a fire protection engineer, and they were, uh, we were doing a usability test for a fire and life safety standards association. And so a lot of these folks, it seems like work from home. And so they have home offices and we were getting them to be looking at like a prototype, you know, at home in their office or wherever they logged in from, which was frequently their home office. And this guy was doing his work and there were kids yelling in the background, there was a dog barking. And you know, my initial thought is, oh God, it's gonna be a bummer showing the client this because there's a lot of background noise. But also on the other hand, people have distractions at home and that's where that guy really works. (laughs) So it was really kind of an empathy building exercise too, to understand like what it looks like to be in this person's home or to watch them trying to do their work or get an insurance quote or pay their bills or whatever the the cases that we're testing, you know, you get to see a real slice of that. Maybe their baby's crying and they have to step away. Um, That's happened to me during usability tests. And they're like, I'm so sorry. One second. And I'm like, no, like, this is a window into your life. This is exactly what we want.
1: Do you think, uh, I, I guess I was just gonna put like the disclaimer on there of, I think there's probably some stuff that still needs to benefit from being tested in person and like physical products come to mind, but um, would you put that disclaimer on it? Or do you think, um, you know, you can kind of find creative ways around that limitation for any type of test?
2: Yeah, no, I think there is a disclaimer on that. Absolutely. I think that first off, you're totally right. Uh, physical products, I think are best tested in person. Um, and also there are some products that, um kind of get used in a more contextual manner, like around the house. Um, Like, for example, a, you know, like now your TV, right, is this sort of space for software to be. And it's great because when we're testing like internet-based or computer-based or mobile-based software, the user can join me in a remote meeting on that device while using that device and sharing that device's screen. But there aren't yet like webcams, uh, maybe I'm behind the times, webcams on TVs. (laughs) Um, And I don't know if you can join a Zoom meeting from like your TV or share your TV screen. So, you know, we had a proposal for a client uh, who was kind of offering this sort of TV-based software and our research proposal for that ended up being in-person testing because it was important to see the user using it in their home context, but um, it didn't make sense to to have them you know like setting up a camera behind their tv couch while they were using the remote and all that sorts of thing so right
1: right yeah that makes sense uh, yeah. like i think there's some allegations that samsung's tvs are spying on us right but maybe they're, doing, <laughs> okay. maybe they're doing uh they're doing some market research
0: right right um, <laughs>
1: uh the other thing that i think people um i don't know if you agree with this but on remote stuff is uh, you mentioned like meeting people where they're at and actually seeing them in their environment, which makes a ton of sense. But, um, I think the other piece is, uh, like the diversity that remote allows you to get, um, obviously, you know, in person, you can still get a wide variety of people and backgrounds, but, um, geographic diversity is a real thing too, right? People have different vernaculars and different norms and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think that's another like big advantage in my mind. Do you guys, like, do you guys try to be mindful of that when you're recruiting people remotely?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. So actually, um, not only are we mindful of it in in the normal kind of day-to-day recruiting that we do, but we even had at one point a usability test that involved a voice recognition software. And so we had to recruit people with different dialects. To participate and that would have been impossible had we just been limiting ourselves to in-person testing we would have been trying to find someone with a you know like a minnesota accent a southern accent a southern california accent you know that would have been impossible if we'd been trying to bring those people in in one small city
0: what are um what are some of the tools or tips that you like to use to really bring out some of those advantages of remote testing to make people comfortable and keep them in their natural context.
2: Yeah. So I find that, um, you know, a lot of the work is kind of done for me, right? Like people are in their homes generally or they're comfortable. um, But other times they might be, you know, I had a nurse off of her shift, you know, in her break room on her mobile phone one time. And it's like, wow, that's, you know, that's when you probably would be trying to get an insurance quote, I guess. Um, So that makes sense. But, you know, I, I think the spiel, right, like comes into play here. Um, like the five minute thing you tell people before you get going and hit record on the meeting. Um, I think that's where you have space to make people comfortable and to feel like they're free to share kind of what they would normally do in real life. And there's a couple of ways that I do that. Like, first off, I tell them that I don't have anything to do with building the software, so they don't have to worry about offending me. I want it to be a conversation. I want it to be honest. And, you know, they're on their own device, which is another huge part of not having people, like, come into your office to test your software, um, because they have things like password managers and other types of software that interact with what you might be testing
1: do you do you do anything else to try to get the like rapport or like talkativeness like will you kind of do some like idle chatter to start or
2: you know i don't do a ton of idle chat um i don't necessarily think that these people are expecting that when they log in for one of these and um i also you know they're frequently on a schedule too because they're thinking oh i can do this from my home let me squeeze this in here and here and you know, if we let them go five minutes early, they're psyched. But I do think that rapport building is important and you can do that in other ways, um, sort of in how you phrase the spiel, how you present the spiel. Um, You can add a little bit of personality to it without necessarily, you know, having them talk about their day. But in addition, I do think that one rapport building thing you can do is that you can ask questions before the usability test as kind of what we call like a pre-test interview, just to get a little bit more context around... What we might be testing so you know I don't just put the software right in front of them um, but I'm not necessarily asking you know what they had for breakfast either. I'll usually ask about things like, for example, we we do have this financial services client as a company and one of the things we were testing was um an app for roadside assistance with a vehicle. Um, so sort of asking, you know, have you been in an accident recently? How you know when's the last time you called roadside service? And of course Part of that gets covered in phone screeners too, but digging into details, seeming interested in what their experience has been, and then using their experience as the scenario for the usability test. And that's where I think that some of the realism really comes in. And of course, I guess that applies to having, you know, an in-person test as well, but I don't think the importance of that can be understated is that you shouldn't be giving the, the user, the, every user you test with the same scenario. Um, you should be building a scenario based on their responses um, and the rapport you build through those responses.
0: Are you typically doing usability tests? Or are you also doing more discovery, ethno, ethnographic-style research? Or what sorts of research are you? I'm, I'm going to guess that you're doing a variety of kinds of research. But yeah. what, do you, what do you do when you do remote research?
2: Yeah, so frequently we're doing usability tests. And occasionally we will have a client kind of come to us with a... Um, you know, like, what would people think of this service if we were to offer it kind of question. Um, And in those cases, we end up talking a lot about kind of what people currently use. And then in some ways, it ends up being a usability test of other services that are Mm -hmm. similar, because I'll say things like, oh, well, can you pull that up? And that's what I love the remote testing, because Mm -hmm. they've got it bookmarked on their computer, they can show me the software they're using. And, you know, you can really see their workflow
1: the kind of like the flip side of, you know, them being in their own environment is that you have a little bit less control over the environment. Um, Mm -hmm. Have you found ways to kind of like minimize technical glitches or challenges getting, you know, the video to work or um, like, I guess, how do you work around some of that stuff where a little bit maybe more is outside of your control than an in-person session?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So one thing I did run into recently was someone really having trouble with screen share. And that's something I see occasionally is people just can't seem to get their screen share going, whether they can't find the button on Zoom or they, you know, I don't know what the case is. Um,
1: I'd like to but, say that that's, it's not a technical thing because our CTO can also not use screen <laughs> share. So very capable. So it's, uh, it's just a difficult thing. So it's not a, uh, it's not a, you or know. The no, camera. It's not, yeah, it's not a slight <laughs> towards the participants. I'll just say. Right, right.
2: No, of course it is not. So what I did uh, most recently is I was able to share my own screen with the prototype. Um, and then give them control of my mouse uh, on the online meeting software, and that was a great workaround. I, um, I mean, it was mostly great um, because then I'd go to like you know look at the script, and they'd be pulling my mouse the other way, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, but you know, trying to make do for sure with technical difficulties. You know, taking advantage of the chat if there's audio issues, like you know. You, can you see me? Yes. Can you hear me? No. Okay. Call in. You know, and giving chat instructions, I've, I've found I've become a very good, uh, patient instruction giver through uh, moderating remote usability tests. It's part of you know, one of the things I love about the job.
0: What are some of the other tools you use? You mentioned Zoom. Is that your go-to, or do you use what participants you know might already have, or what? what so
2: yeah, we primarily use Zoom for the usability tests, I think there was a time when we were occasionally using GoToMeeting and we kind of transitioned to Zoom um, a little bit more as a team as well, like for internal staff meetings and gotten more comfortable with that. And it seems to be a little more user-friendly than GoToMeeting. I, um, you know, nobody's, this isn't a plug, Um, (laughs) but (laughs) I've found that users um, seem to have a little bit of an easier time. Uh, getting their audio and their screen share set up.
0: So it sounds like Zoom is your go-to tool for video conferencing and remote sessions. What about for prototypes? Are there particular tools that you rely on for remote sessions?
2: Yeah, so um, a lot of the times uh, with our clients, we're testing live environments, which is really exciting. Um, but when we're not, um, we sometimes build Axure prototypes or our clients will. And I even have gotten to the point of using Axure for like low fidelity prototyping as well, just wireframes. I'll do an action. Um, at first, I think coming out of grad school, I was like, well, balsamic is for wireframes and action is for high fidelity. And then eventually it, it just kind of got to the point where it was like, no, I think action is for everything.
1: <laughs> oh, um, I was going to say, uh, are you mostly doing stuff on like people on their computers or do you do it on their phone or is that very test to test?
2: Probably 50 50. So um, some clients are really interested in, you know, or, or it just makes sense to do it as a de- desktop app or they don't have necessarily their mobile web or, or an app. But then the other half of the time eh, we are using uh, mobile phones and uh, testing apps and mobile web experiences. And so we even use zoom for that. And we just tell people, um, you know, if you could download the zoom app to your phone beforehand, it's free. And then they, it's super easy to get them, get them going on that.
1: Awesome. What's, what's the setup look like on your side? Do you have note takers also calling into the meeting or are they looking over your shoulder? Or I guess, do you have a note taker? <laughs> um,
2: no. So I'm my own note taker, um, but I do record the sessions. And so um, I, I'll usually just watch them back sometimes at like double speed or something like that. Um, just so I'm making sure that I, um, you know, I'm catching everything, but frequently I find that the best way to start compiling results or to um, if that's what the usability test uh, requires or the client requires is to just do it immediately after the session. And, you know, everything's fresh in my mind. Um, I'll make note of things they struggled with, things they said, or I'll make notes to myself to go back and look up an exact quote. But I mostly just do it myself. And so back to the tools, I'm hot on tools this month.
0: Um, And are you using anything special to kind of collate those themes or
2: Google Docs or
0: what do you kind of, what do you, what's your flow after this? Yeah.
2: So we're like fully a G suite company. Um, We use Google Docs internally for basically everything, um, whether that's slides or sheets or documents. Um, And then we do use Basecamp in terms of like just an internal workflow, um, which has been great. It's my first company uh, using Basecamp, um, and I I like it so far. Um, Although I think we're in two, not three. I think they have a... (laughs) an update. So we're still in two, um, but it's been working great for us. And yeah, so what I'll do is we like to um, present findings to clients in one of two ways. So sometimes a client will just say, you know, we just want your, like your impression of how this went. Um, You know, we, we'd be interested in seeing some user quotes or having access to the videos, but we just kind of want to know like what the, what the next step should be for us or what your recommendations are. And in that case, I'll go straight to slides um, and I'll present those to a client. But in other cases, and this is when I think the work gets really fun, is when we get to, this is kind of the only in-person work I do truly is when we get to go to the client and I'll bring those videos, those recorded videos of the usability tests. And we'll run a full day workshop where we bring in the team, like seven to 10 people that um, are going to be kind of involved in the next steps for that client's usability test or project or whatever the case may be. And we'll have them watch the videos and then they're my note takers. So they're taking the notes on the videos, putting them up on the wall and then we spend the whole afternoon basically just shuffling notes around, finding themes, finding problems and taking next steps. So I guess to answer your question, my favorite kind of note taking is when the client does it. And that's something I'm getting to do more and more and I love that.
0: Awesome. And in those cases, are you clipping the kind of? Are you pre-editing and finding the best moments and bringing those to the clients?
2: You bring the whole. I bring the whole dang thing. It's amazing, Um, and our clients love it. So I'll trim off. um, You know, if I sneeze in the middle of it, I'll cut that out. Or um, you know, I'll I'll trim the spiel at the start and I'll trim the part where I'm telling them um, how to you know get their compensation. Um, But the whole thing sticks, and and it's great. And do
0: you kind of stick to the. Like five, five people is enough, or do you wait till you f- the themes emerge? What's your process for how do you figure out how many people to talk to for a remote usability test?
2: Yeah, so we generally do five to six. Um, sometimes we'll have a no show and it's four. Um, if if I feel like people aren't starting to repeat themselves, I'll get another person or two. But um, I basically have not yet done a project where people are not repeating themselves after four or five. Usability tests, you can really see those themes start to emerge. Um, so we stick to that about
1: um, to, to zoom out a little, like I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, all, We're talking about all these advantages of remote sessions, um, you know, for products that can enable it um, In terms of you get a better diversity of participant, you get to meet them where they're at. It's often cheaper in terms of incentive or finding the people Um, you can probably schedule them a little more back to back than you can when you're walking people in and out of your building. So you can go through them faster. You know, the recordings are great. There's all these advantages. Um, but I feel like when you still talk to people, it still seems like you're settling when you do online, like in-person is still like the gold standard. And people Mm. are like, you know, if I have to, I'll do online. Um, do you have a sense for like why that is, is it just our thinking hasn't caught up to the tools or, you know because previously the only way to do it was kind of in person. And so that just sort of has some inertia behind it. Or do you have any thoughts on like why people haven't kind of clicked on the value of it?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, um, you know, it's not something I've encountered quite so much in my work because, you know, my whole company is remote. We really push it. Our clients love it. Um, and so I haven't necessarily come across a client that gets involved with me and then says, I don't know about this remote thing. um, that said, I did kind of experience a little bit of that in grad school, and I think that there's this sense that, like, convenience sometimes affects quality. Like, oh, if it's a convenient way to conduct these interviews, they probably aren't as high quality. And I just think that's a misconception. Um, I you know, I think that regardless of how you do these, they're hard work and they're empathy building and they're really valuable. And I just, I, you know, I don't think we have to um, be able to reach out and touch someone to understand how they're using a piece of software.
1: It's
0: probably not a good idea these days anyway. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Too much stranger touching. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a great point. It's like, no pain, no gain. And the amazing thing that technology obviously has enabled is to get more with less. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've talked about some of the, some of the times where remote just isn't a possibility, but, um, for a lot of digital projects, certainly there are a lot of, a lot of cool advantages. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I think what you were getting at, I I think feels right in the sense of like, I, I, I'm going to mess up the quote, but the idea of like, Um, In theory, there's no difference between uh, practice and theory, but like in practice there is. And I feel like in theory, if you could do any type of session you'd pick in person, but when you actually like are getting into the practice and you do some of the online sessions, I think people are then are quick to recognize the benefits, but it might just be that like in isolation, when you're thinking about it a little bit more abstractly, people prefer in person. And when you're actually doing it day to day, like you are um, the benefits of online are a little bit more clear.
2: Right. And I also think that there's this sense of like, our field somehow being based on physical, like the research that's done on physical products, because, you know, user experience research is not exclusively a digital field and it really evolved out of like industrial design and product research. And, you know, just for today's technology, which is so frequently digital and or on a screen, I should say. Um, So I think that there's this sense in order to like legitimize the work that the more our work looks like the work of or like the more our day to day looks like the day of an industrial product researcher, um, the the more legitimate the work is. And so I I think that here we kind of have a little bit of bias to overcome um, in terms of like making the point that remote research is valid.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so much stuff in the digital space evolved out of, you know, physical or analog concepts, right? Like, it's all the right. old, like, skeuomorphic stuff of, like, the desktop and the folder, or, like, the right. old notes app that had to have, like, the lined paper and stuff on it.
2: Right. Um, and and especially, in, break yeah. Out of it. yeah, and I think especially in, like, academic spaces, um, like, I went, I went to grad school at Carnegie Mellon, which has a fantastic industrial design and, like, product research, you know, grad program as well and so in some ways i think the human computer interaction and the ux research side of that sought to mimic that in the digital space and uh prioritized in-person research as a result cool yeah i love that it's um and
0: something i think we're really interested in is this kind of Research needs to be very whatever, like how the book says it needs to be, and expensive and hard, and only the privileged class of PhDs who have, you know, done ethnography in Africa or whatever, really allowed to do this kind of work. Versus, um, you know, let's democratize getting insights and talking to your customers, and
2: yeah, it doesn't have
0: to be that hard. And obviously, everyone can can benefit from learning some, some methods, and particularly, I think, you know, being able to um, extract the signal from the noise and things like that, but um, I, I think that's a fun conversation and what you're saying about transitioning kind of academic theory into real life and finding where you're making trade-offs and where you're actually getting
2: something just better. Yeah. It's a super interesting part of that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think even like in the recruiting side of things, like there's a lot of times that we have this sense of like, who's the ideal recruit for something. Um, And then you'll get these people on the phone or on an online meeting with you. And um, you know, you're like, well, you fit all the recruiting requirements, but there's something not realistic about the way that we're now talking about this experience. And then, you know, I've had experiences where you, like someone slips through recruiting somehow and you're like, wait, you mean you're not in the market for insurance? Why am I on this call with you? Um, And then they're like, well, you know, you had me get a quote before the meeting. Um, It actually looked really good. So I went back in and took another look at it and pulled it up. And I'm like, I was just about to talk to you about imagining recalling a quote and you just went and did it. And, you know, just a, kind of those magic moments of like, well, that wasn't supposed to happen, but awesome. I can
0: work with this.
2: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I think it's, I think it's important to remember too, that like different, uh, approaches or techniques have different, um, you know, benefits or upside to them. Uh, but they all also have their own little like hiccups that are going to happen. Right. So like we talked about the technical glitches on online, um, sessions, but like in-person ones, like maybe the person can't find the office or they can't find a place to park or, oh, yeah or the meeting room got double booked somehow. Cause, the, cause Outlook does that, right? Like there's, there, there yeah. are, there's a whole host of things that happen on that side too. So there's um you know, I think sometimes we, we look past those and um, you know, things, things can go wrong in any study, I guess. Is oh, that.
2: absolutely. And I, my suspicion, although I'm not sure if this is true and ideally, you know, your um, user compensation should take care of some of this, but I think that Um, there are less no-shows and like people are way more willing to reschedule with you. If something doesn't work out, if they know that they're not rescheduling a drive or a, you know, a hopping on the Metro or something like that.
0: Definitely. We see that in our, in our numbers as well. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, Cool. What else, if anything, should people know about remote um, research and how to just crush it?
2: Yeah, I think that. I mean, of course, this isn't specific to remote. I think just being flexible, right? Because you're gonna you're gonna get people logging on and being like, you know, ah, I can't hear you, or like, one second, my dog's barking. I'm gonna take my dog out, or like, let me switch computers. This one doesn't seem to be working. Um, and I think that, you know, in some ways, I treat every remote research session like like a little like movie i get to watch and like interact with you know from wherever i am and wherever that person is and it's like such a gift to get that little like insight into that person's life and whether it's something as like quote unquote uninteresting as paying their water bill um you know just getting to have that screen pop up and they're like maybe they're in their work uniform maybe they like have their lunch and their mouth is full and they're trying to tell you what they think of you know entering their credit card number and they're ticked off and I don't know I think that it is still all about empathy it's just in a little bit of a different way um and I think that just meeting people where they are and um Also making sure that you uh, updated Zoom before you try to like log in and all those sort of little like technical things can also help you crush it. So you have to be extra organized.
0: (laughs) Organized and flexible.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things too, right? Where it's a trend that's just going to keep growing. So getting the skills and getting comfortable with it is going to become more and more valuable for a bunch of different reasons and a bunch of different contexts. So um, even if it's something you're not doing a ton of today, you know, easing into it and starting to experiment with it could be valuable, you know, in the years to come.
2: Yeah, one thing that we do is when we um, we're doing, I think a, a a little more like in person, and when we do still so occasionally do some in person testing, but um, using a remote test the week before uh, as a backup in case someone's a no show, that has a come in super handy and is b a great way to sort of like get into remote research if you're not already doing it because um, it's low pressure, uh, you know if if one of your in-person people doesn't show up, maybe the client will see it, but also maybe they won't. And it's an opportunity for you to get familiar with a new tool.
1: Totally. I love that sentiment of like, why can't it be both? (laughs) Yeah. There's no reason that the study only has to use one method to talk to people. Right.
2: Oh yeah. And clients love that when you're like, Oh, there was a no show. And they're like, Oh no. And you're like, don't worry. We have this video to watch.
1: (laughs) That's great. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining
2: us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was lovely.
0: This
1: was fun.
0: Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews.
1: Theme music by Fragile Gang.
0: Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.